Welcome to the Daniel Yoris Podcast. Today I'll be talking about how I got into fitness and why I became a coach. Let's go. I am Daniel Yoris. Thanks for joining me today on the first episode of my podcast. I figured what way to start it off other than introducing myself as a coach, why I got into fitness, how I learned all of these things, and why I chose to do this as my career. Becoming a personal trainer or a coach of whatever kind you want to call it is seems to me like one of those careers where a lot of people ask me, oh, that's so interesting. That's so cool. You get to work out all day and you're in the gym and you're playing sports and wearing shorts to work. And it seems like one of those quote unquote cool jobs where you know, it, I guess it just breaks the mold of the typical kind of corporate job in an office, sitting at a desk, punching away at a computer all day long. And so people think it's interesting, you know, how did you get into it? You know, a lot of people work out. And so why is this your career? So the story starts from when I was a kid, I was exposed to, you know, all the sports. I played soccer, hockey, I mean, tennis, did karate lessons, swimming classes, you know, everything. And the main sport that I played was soccer. And that's what I trained for and excelled at over time as you specialize and become a little bit older. I like to think I got to a decently high level. I you know, never had dreams or uh, real aspirations of becoming professional or anything like that. But I did play with and against several players who made it to the national team and professional level. So not to make a big deal of that, but I was pretty good, I think, and I trained hard for it. So that was the beginning of my introduction to fitness and health and sports and all these things. Now, I was never someone who was naturally very athletic. My dad would for sure tell you this. I had terrible running mechanics. I just was never the best player, the best athlete, but I worked my ass off. And that is one thing that I'll always pride myself in is that I was never the most naturally talented, but I did work really hard. And working hard never felt difficult to me. What I mean by that is I was never the kind of person who needed to be dragged out of bed to go to practice. I didn't shy away from working hard. I knew that I wasn't the most talented, but I wanted to work hard and to improve. And over time, I did become better and became, you know, again, to the level of the team that I was playing on, one of the better players on the team. The reason that mentioning that I played soccer and had a quote-unquote athletic career is relevant is because the story starts with the injuries that I picked up along the way. I got injured quite a bit. Namely, it was my knees, and I have a very vivid memory of the first ever time that I hurt my knee. I was 12 years old. It was an exhibition game, so it didn't even count. It was a simple play. There was nobody around me on the field. It was a little hop up to just receive the ball. As I came down, my knee just crumbled, and I dropped to the floor like a ton of bricks. My knee was in crazy pain, didn't know what happened, had no idea. I think we went to the emergency room last that night just to see, hey, what's going on here? Turns out it was a type of dislocation, and I proceeded to have many of these similar injuries over the next several years. Now, as one would imagine, when you get injured, there's a whole series of things that you have to do to get back to the fields through physiotherapy and through other types of treatment to reduce the injury, reduce further chances of injury, and to get back into playing shape. So through this process of getting injured, healing, getting back on the field, getting re-injured, rinse and repeat, I spent a lot of time being told about how the body works, the biomechanics of the knee, this treatment modality, 
this exercise for strengthening X muscle and this is why you're getting injured. And so just being in this environment kind of always, you know, I was learning by osmosis through the therapist and through the doctors and stuff that I kept seeing to get me back on the field. Over time, I got pretty interested in, hey, how does this whole thing work? And that is the very short version of the story. Now, many people have been injured. Maybe you've broken bones before, had athletic injuries or whatever. And I, you know, I hope that you didn't. But uh, if you've played sports for any appreciable amount of time, that you more than likely have gotten some injuries. I distinctly remember one professor amending the common quote of the things that are guaranteed in life. And he said three things guaranteed in life, death, taxes, and athletic injuries. And that couldn't be more true in, in my case, for sure. So while I was injured, what did I do? Yep, I went to the you know physio, the athletic therapist, and did all those things and had did what I had to do. But I was still part of a team, and soccer, of course, is a team sport. And so there are practices where your attendance is, I mean, it's not required because it wasn't a professional environment where I was being paid or being demanded to be there. My father was the manager of my team, so he had responsibilities to be at practice. And so, you know what, I might as well go too, show a little bit of leadership through that. But if I'm going to practice and I can't train, I can't, I can barely walk, never mind practice soccer, what am I going to do? So I would do my physio exercises, whatever types of rehabilitation exercises that I was being told to do at the time. I would do those. And then I started doing push ups and sit ups and other exercises that, you know, anybody would know about. Now, keep in mind, I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I didn't have any background in fitness or training or any of these things, but I would go to practice and I would just bang out push-ups and sit-ups for two hours because that was all I could do. This started spilling over into just like regular life. Even after I was healthy, I would just do push-ups and sit-ups at night. And I think at one point it got, it got to a point where it was probably around grade eight, I think so. I was maybe 13 or so years old. And I was doing 500 push-ups and 1,000 sit-ups every single night. Now, is that like some good, crazy workout? Like, obviously not. But at the time, it was it was what I had and I enjoyed doing it. And, you know, at that time, your body's changing, of course. So, you're, you know, you're doing 500 push-ups a day. You start to get a little bit of muscle and you're the first one in the in the circle of friends, in the grade, in the wherever you are that, you know, you're starting to build a little bit of muscle and it's kind of cool. So that really got me, I guess, hooked on it. And it's like, oh, this feeling of kind of being strong and, you know, I can see my body changing and starting to improve and get better is became a little bit addicting, I would say. Now, the less egotistical aspect of that is that I distinctly remember this one training session on a Saturday morning where it was one of the first sessions that I came back from an injury. We were gearing up to go to a big tournament overseas. So I had been doing the push-ups, the sit-ups, the squats, the whatever, all my physio stuff, and and then some on top of this, get back on the field. And, you know, naturally, if you're injured for three, four months, not running, not training, your your just fitness is going to be less. Of course, your ability to run and you're going to be out of breath and all this stuff is going to be less. At this training session that I'm referring to, it was actually a conditioning session. So it wasn't even a tactical ball skills or anything like that. So it was running and, you know, match-related fitness. And I was winning or near the top of every single exercise. Now, obviously it's not a competition in practice, but just to say that, you know, coming off the bench to be leading all of those things, I should have been far and away at the back of the pack, way behind everyone, huffing and puffing and almost throwing up. But I wasn't. And that I guess I didn't realize it at the time because again, I was 14 or 15 years old or whatever it was. But 
over time, I definitely realized like, oh, hold on a second. Like I wasn't training like everybody else was, and I'm still in better shape than almost everyone else on the team. And all I was doing was these push-ups and sit-ups and whatever. Now, taking a step back from the fitness side of things, there is the coaching aspect of all of this. A lot of people go to the gym. A lot of people are fit. A lot of people like getting strong and big muscles and all these things. Not all of them like coaching. Two separate things, totally. I was lucky enough to have excellent coaches in sport growing up, and I had an opportunity to help out start coaching my younger brother's teams with my coach and with other coaches within the club. And this was about when I was 15 or 16, my brother's three years younger than me, and I was, you know, I wasn't doing anything, you know, pick up the pylons, fetch the loose balls and all that kind of stuff. But it was an introduction to to coaching and starting to starting to teach and share what I'd learn and give back a little bit. As my playing career ended a couple of years later, following another catastrophic knee injury, I got into coaching more. I wanted to still be involved in soccer, wanted to be able to give back. I was no longer going to be playing. So coaching seemed like a natural fit. Being that I wasn't playing, I obviously had more time to you know, commit to this. And so I started taking on a little bit more of a role, started working with the really young kids, the you know three and four-year-olds, the first crack at soccer or you know doing anything outside of daycare or, you know, grandma's house daycare kind of thing. So it was it was really fun. It was really great. Learned a lot. Of course, there's not a lot of technical coaching being done to four-year-olds, but you are dealing with group, you're dealing with children, you're dealing with parents, and you're teaching and learning and coaching nonetheless. Exactly what you're coaching is largely irrelevant to what I'm talking about. But the fact is that I began coaching and I really enjoyed it. Sure, there's headaches, you know, dealing with three-year-olds all the time, trying to corral them into a group to follow some instructions. But the beauty of it was that since they were so young, they had unlimited potential and they had so much to learn. And so you could show a young kid something and they pick it up and it's like, boom, now they can now they can do that thing. And it was very quick and very obvious when they were making progress. And so this just got me more and more interested in like, hey, this is kind of cool where I can teach something that seems like obvious and simple to me because I've known this for the past 10 years, but I've just taught this thing to a five-year-old and now she can do it. That's awesome. Then this coaching aspect progressed over the next couple of years, took on a little bit more of a role, got into some more competitive teams and a little bit older kids. And it just continued to improve my love and joy of coaching and giving back and sharing and teaching as much as I could. So now fast forward a couple of years and we'll start tying this all together. First year of university is the first year that I got pretty serious about lifting weights and being in the gym. I had, you know, dabbled and been here and there before, but never consistently and never on any type of plan or program or over a long period of time. That year I got pretty big and pretty strong, but, you know, I fell into the trap of doing all the wrong things. You know, you follow too many bodybuilding.com type things and the bro science workouts and not training your legs and all these kinds of things. But it was awesome. It was a it was a great time. It was some of the most fun training I ever did. And I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. I definitely didn't do things right, but this was just again, this was just the beginning and you got to kind of go through it and do all the silly dumb things until you realize like, hey, this is this is there's got to be a better way to do this here than just crushing chest every day and eating Popeyes a couple of times a week, but we'll talk about that another time. In no surprise really, from the way that I was training, looking back at it, that following summer, I injured my knee again for the last time. I also distinctly remember this one. 
I was starting to put more of the pieces of how this whole fitness and workout thing goes together. I was in the gym trying a new workout and it was actually a pretty cool workout. I kind of, I remember how, I don't remember the actual exercises, but I do remember the system and it was like something where you would do say a dumbbell chest press and then do one minute of cardio. So instead of resting, you do the, these one minute bouts of cardio. So it was like skipping rope or just, you know, running on the spot or jumping jacks or something like that in between every set. And I thought, Oh, it's pretty interesting. I, I guess, I mean, I probably wouldn't use something like that now, but it's, it was a cool thing at the time. And anyways, I was trying and experimenting new things. So did a, whatever set it was skipping rope, stepped on the side of a, of a plate and boom, knee went again. So like I said, that was sort of the last time that I really injured my knee. We had just been so fed up with it and it was time to take a more invasive approach. And so I consulted with a surgeon and there are many great things about living in Canada. Speed of healthcare is not one of them. One year later, I finally had the surgery to repair the structural issues with my knee. And this surgery was quite a complex surgery. There's, It's not even a common injury or surgery that is done. So there's only one doctor here in Ontario who actually performs the surgery. I'll spare you the details of it, but for 13 weeks after the surgery, I was non-weight bearing on my left leg. Non-weight bearing means that I didn't put my left foot on the ground for even a second for 13 weeks. If you've ever been injured and you've been not able to use a body part, you're familiar with the concept of atrophy. Atrophy is when your muscles shrink. When you can barely bend your leg and can't put it on the ground, your muscles are going to shrink a hell of a lot. I recall my calf was almost smaller than the size of my forearm, which was crazy. And so by the time 13 weeks had passed, I basically had to rebuild my entire leg. So it was about another year after that until I was back to 100% and able to run and play sports and lift freely and do all of these things. As you would expect, I was not in great physical shape at that time, barely being able to walk, let alone you know exercise correctly. There's only so much restriction of food, and not that I was even super knowledgeable about nutrition at that time, but I had gained weight naturally. It wasn't anything crazy, but this was probably the worst shape I guess I'd ever, I'd ever been in. So as I started the process of getting back in the gym and rebuilding my body, I also got more interested in the nutrition side of things because I realized that this was pretty important. As I mentioned before, in that first year of university where I was training really hard, I neglected nutrition. Actually, I wouldn't say that I, I neglected it. I knew that what I was doing was wrong, and that was just eating everything that I could all the time. Like I said, I think I had Popeyes almost twice a week during first year university, and it worked for what I was trying to do, but obviously that's not healthy. And I knew that at the time, but now my goals were different. I wasn't trying to get huge. I was trying to just get back to my own body and trying to get healthy again. So I started digging into nutrition information online. As you would know, if you've ever looked at any nutrition information online, there are 8 million things and all of them are contradictory to each other. So where do you start? You start reading as much information as you can Yes, I was in school for these kind of things, so I had a little bit more background knowledge than the average person. I had some knowledge of the actual scientific background as to how these things would work, why they would work, what seems like 
crazy talk and what seems reasonable. But I still had never tried to do this before, so I didn't really know what it was like. And the best way to learn, I think, is to just try it. And so I started trying different things on myself. I would read about a nutrition protocol or a diet, if you will, and start doing it myself and say, hey, this is, well, let's see what happens here. Is it going to work? Am I getting healthier? Do I feel like garbage? Do I feel good? Am I losing body fat? Am I gaining body fat? What's going on here? And so you use yourself as a as an experiment. And this was the maybe not the most efficient way to learn, maybe not the safest way, but it certainly was effective. And in terms of coaching and something that I had thought about at this time was, well, if I ever want to do this one day and someone is going to ask me, hey, should I do XYZ diet? If I've never done that diet before or that nutrition protocol, how would I be able to explain what it's going to be like or how it's going to feel to them. And so that was something that was always in the back of my head where it's like, if I can get the actual experience of doing this, then I'll be able to better communicate and coach to someone in the future what's going to happen should they try this or should they even try this at all. Now through this, as I started to learn more, I got deeper into the training side of things as well. And when you start getting into any topic, it can and it can be anything that you're interested in, you probably start communicating with it to the people around you, your friends and family, you start just talking about it, you start interacting, I guess, with people online, which is more prevalent, much more prevalent now even than it was at the time. So people start to ask you questions because you're not an expert, but you probably know a little bit more than they do. Obviously, I didn't know all the answers, but someone would ask me a question about, oh, what do you think about this type of food? What do you think about this exercise? And I started answering them as best as I could. There was a lot of, I don't know, but let me find out for you. And so that was how I did a lot of my quote unquote research was someone would ask me a question. I didn't know the answer. It sounded interesting to me. So I would go and find the answer and then coach it back to them. And this is how I learned myself. It stuck deep inside me and it would help them to learn as well and help me to be able to better communicate these ideas and again, get into the coaching side of things. So fast forward a bit, I went to chiropractic college after I graduated from kinesiology at York University. I thought that I wanted to be on the therapy side of things. I didn't totally love the experience at that school. It's not a knock on the school, it's just it didn't mesh with what I was really looking for. I did learn a lot of very useful scientific information about the human body, how it all works, why things work, why things are the way they are, and that's something that I greatly value and and the most important thing that I took away from that education. However, it wasn't something that I could really see myself doing career-wise going forward. And so it came to a point where I thought, well, I can spend another three years doing this and then not really love what I'm doing, or I can leave now, take the information I have and start coaching people. If I'm not going to use chiropractic treatment as part of what I'm actually doing, then I can just start helping people now. It wasn't as cut and dry as that. There was a lot more that went into that. It wasn't necessarily an easy decision or an easy process. There were many, many bumps along the road, but I did decide to leave that school and leave that profession and start a career in coaching people. Now, when you start to take something a little bit more seriously, now it wasn't like I'm just trying to help out my buddies or help out my family members or whatever it is. It's like now strangers are trusting me and paying me actual real money 
to guide them in their fitness and nutrition and all of these things. And that puts a lot of responsibility on you, I guess, as a new coach where it's like, well, I'm, I'm still trying to like figure these things out myself. I don't know everything. I know a lot, but I don't know everything. And these people are trusting me. And so it forces you to be better. And so you get more in depth into the actual science of what you're teaching. You definitely take on the role of coach and care way more about it because someone is depending on you a lot more than just a buddy asking you a question as a favor. Now, as this starts to happen, you start to meet a lot of new people. You start to see people improve. You start to see people's lives improve as a cause of improving their fitness and their well-being. And that's when it starts to just really sink in as like, hey, this is this is what I wanted to do. This is what I really love to do. Fitness is what I know and how I think that I can help people and contribute to improving their life. And there are many, many things that can help improve our life. I think fitness and health is one of them. We all have a body. We're all human. And so taking care of that body is something that is pretty important. And it's not something that we all know. It seems obvious like, hey, we all have muscles and body fat and we all have to move and play and work and do all these things. But no one ever really formally teaches us how to optimize all of this and how to get stronger, how to stay healthy. And so you take on this role of like, oh, maybe I'm, I'm really filling this gap for someone. And it's one of these things where when you start to study a subject enough, it becomes almost obvious to you. It's like, oh, if I know it, then everybody else must know it. And then you start talking to some people and you realize that oh, a lot of people really don't know this and this information is really, really helping them. And because it happens slowly over time for me, you don't realize it until you kind of reflect a little bit. And now looking back, I notice always in my life that when I'm on point with my fitness and my nutrition, everything else is better. I'm just happier. I sleep better. Everything is just better. And when I'm being lazy and not training and not eating healthy and all these things, things are just not as good. And so the ability to continue passing that information on and helping more people and continue to learn and and just share and grow and this is my sort of contribution to the world is something that really makes me happy and really kind of, I, I guess, fills that that need to to do something with my life. Being a personal trainer, a strength coach is certainly not a get-rich-quick career. There are many long hours, a lot of work for free. It is not prestigious. A lot of people will say, oh, you're a personal trainer. That's that's cool. What are you doing like for the rest of your life? And and it's it's a little bit funny because in a sense, I totally get what they're saying. It's not a regulated profession. Anybody can be a personal trainer. Anybody can call themselves a coach. It doesn't make you good at what you do, but anybody can call themselves that. And so there are plenty of, you know, 16, 17 year old kids who are just working as a quote unquote personal trainer in a gym and they have the same title I do. And that's probably not what they're doing. They've probably just been to the gym and, you know, maybe they know a couple exercises. That's fine. But anyways, to say it's not something that's super prestigious. So those, so none of these things are the reason that somebody would want to pursue this as a career. However, I guess on the lighter side of things, there are many great benefits to it. I don't have to subscribe to the kind of corporate world of sitting at a desk and plugging away at a computer working for some large company. I get to wear shorts and running shoes to work all day. I more or less build my own schedule. I'm active. I get to stay in shape just by doing my job. And again, the biggest thing is that it just really feels like I'm making a difference in people's lives and and that's just a really good feeling on the inside. And I think all of this story really just contributes again to why I'm doing this podcast and why I'm sort of branching out now to try and reach more people is because I really do love coaching and helping people. 
fitness is what I know. And so that's what I can coach. If there was something else I was like super interested in growing up, or if it was finance or if it was something else, maybe I would be some sort of consultant or teacher of something of that. I don't know. I, I like coaching as a concept and I also like fitness and health and nutrition. And so these are the things that I've just married to become that type of coach. So it's just something that's always kind of come natural to me. And through the experiences of my life, it's naturally led me here and I wouldn't trade it for anything right now. Hopefully you've enjoyed the story and it gives you a little bit of more background information of how I got to where I am and that I'm not just some guy who lifted weights a couple times and got here by accident. I really have worked hard and really do love what I'm doing. So I hope to continue to, again, learn and get better and coach and connect and share and improve everyone's life and try and leave my leave my mark on the world through fitness. Thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate your time and attention. It is greatly appreciated to know that you know, with all the millions of shows out there that you're taking the time to listen to me speak about why I do what I do. And so again, thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. If you were able to subscribe to this podcast or leave a review or a rating on whatever service it is that you listen to, that would also mean the world to me. I really appreciate it. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, have any feedback, again, my Instagram handle is just my name at Daniel Yoris. And We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.